morning. Thank you guys for showing up today. Um, it's nice and cool today. We actually warmed up this room because it was so cold when we first got here in anticipation, but it seems like the temperatures may be changing, which is great. Um, Mike, family, we love you guys. Um, thank you for being part of our church for so long and continuing to be. That's really important. Um, we probably would have done this last week, but like Ron said, Sacramento was amazing. And um, again, I want to reiterate, we're blessed to be able to worship like this and have this kind of infrastructure and this kind of worship experience. And not everybody gets that. So we go and we do these pop-ups to see if there's other people in areas that want to start a crosswalk church or have already been in the process of bringing people together in their homes. And it's an incredible journey for someone to say, to someone to be so motivated that they want to bring people into their homes. And, and for a year, year and a half, they bring people into their homes until they get enough people where we can do one of these things. So um, I'm just so incredibly grateful for those of you who have done this all across the country and all across the world, brought people into your home, welcomed them and created a space of belonging. And as we continue to grow um, our churches, over, over um, the next few years, we're just incredibly blessed to do that. And thank you, Redlands, for being the place where we're able to really create this content. And you're gracious with my time. You let me leave and go and do some of these things. I'm really appreciative of that. So thank you. Um, and that just reminds me that we're in, this, um, we're in this fundraising campaign. We call it The Lift. We're trying to raise no less than a million dollars to make sure that we have all the infrastructure that we need for our, um, not only our digital content that we create, here, but also for our facilities so that we can continue to grow the work right here in Redlands. So that's a lot of that. Also, one last thing, I guess, since I'm doing business, um, no, you notice that we don't have a handheld um, series guide for this particular series. And the, there's a reason for that. There's two reasons for that, really. The first reason is this is becoming cost prohibitive. Um, we love giving them to you, but honestly, it be, it's becoming very expensive because the church is growing and we're doing it over you know, thousands of people now and people who are calling in and wanting them and that sort of thing. So we decided we're gonna move in a little bit of a different direction. And that direction is we have made a companion journal that should be out in the next week or two. And it's something that you can purchase and it's, it's a, a writing thing that you can, a writing thing. It's a journal, right? It's a book with blank pages. I don't know why I called it a writing thing. I'm just new to this language, apparently. Um, it's a journal that you can take with you. It's a companion journal for our series. This one will take you through the end of the year. And then next year, we'll be putting them out, probably one or two um, bigger journals that you can write your thoughts. That's something that's important for us to do as spiritual beings, kind of journal and go along. This also, you can answer all the questions. We'll still be doing the PDFs. The They'll still be designed so you can download them. If you just love having them, you can print them off yourself and that expense can be on you. Thank you very much. Um, um, but, but we were blessed to be able to do it to the point where it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So anyway, um, that's why that's all like that. Just check our website, check the app, and you'll be able to grab one of those when the time has come. Let me grab a drink real quick. Excuse me. Okay, so we are in a new series. And it is called Unbroken, as you can see. And um, why, why are we doing a series particularly on mental health and faith? That is what we're leaning into for the next five weeks. Um, let me give you some statistics if I can. 23% of pastors acknowledge that they have personally struggled with mental illness. This comes from Lifeway Research. 49% of pastors say they rarely or never speak to their congregation about mental illness. 
of churches have a plan to assist families affected by mental illness. 27%. That means 73% of churches don't have any sort of plan to deal with people who are dealing with mental illness or struggling with mental health. 65% of church-going family members of those with mental illness want their church to talk openly about mental illness. 59% of those actually suffering from mental illness say the same. They want their churches to talk about this. 53% of churchgoers with mental illness say the church has been supportive. Well, that's good, but 47% haven't said the same thing. 76% of churchgoers say a close acquaintance or family member has died by suicide, 32%. 80% of pastors say their church is equipped to assist someone who is threatening to take his or her own life. By the way, you know that mental health issues are often underreported, so chances are these numbers are a little bit skewed. 92% of pastors say their church is equipped to care for a family that has experienced the suicide of a loved one. 4% um, of churchgoers who lost a loved one to suicide say church leaders were aware of their loved one's struggles. 4%. Can you believe that? That's, that's it. 68% of Americans feel they would be welcome in church if they were mentally ill. Only 68%. 35% of Americans say mental illness could be overcome with Bible study and prayer alone. So we've got some talking that we need to do. So we're going to talk about it. Now, I want to preface this whole thing by saying a couple things. Number one, I am not a mental health professional. I'm a pastor. I'm trained pastorally and theologically. That is my wheelhouse. So you can come, with, come to me, certainly, if something's going on in your life, and my first move will be to listen, to pray, and refer you to a mental health professional um, because I don't want to take responsibility for something that I don't know. I also don't want to steer someone in the wrong way. So as we talk about this series, as we go through and talk about mental health and faith in this series, one of the things that I'll probably do is lean on to the God piece of it and the God part of it while continually helping you move towards an understanding of a healthy outlook on mental health and mental illness, as well as what we can do as a church to circle around folks who are going through these kinds of issues, as well as making sure we're always pushing you towards professional help. I just want to be clear on that. So, um, so how do we begin? right? And if you have not read the series guide yet, you need to go back this afternoon and read the series guide that Pastor Patty wrote, for, particularly for this first week. Pastor Patty, and I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said, has dealt pretty significantly with an anxiety disorder. And so he walks us through how he's feeling about that. And one of the things he does in the series guide, and I'm using some of his material, but not all of it, is talk about the myths when it comes to mental illness, particularly the myths that we have within the church when it comes to mental illness. And so we're going to talk about a few of those. One of the myths that we deal with within the church world is that um, people say mental illness just doesn't exist. And this continues to be a problem, a problem in the church, right? It's hard to believe, but it's still here. The reason why people say faith can fix it right? Sometimes it's this hyper-masculinity that we see. And so people don't want to go get help and they just downplay the idea that there is mental illness that they need to deal with at all. Sometimes, and we'll talk about this later, it's the idea that if you just pray, you can pray the sickness away. Um, these are myths that we have to deal with. And so this idea that mental illness doesn't exist, obviously we've got a problem with that. 
right? Because we know that it does. Many of us have been through counseling, continue to go through counseling. Many of us have dealt with depression. We've dealt with anxiety. We've dealt with lots of different things, right? Suicidal ideation. So I think the first thing that we have to recognize is that um, just like a spiritual journey, a mental journey or an emotional journey is something that has peaks and valleys. It's something that is sometimes beautiful and sometimes very difficult. And so we need to recognize that a it is a myth that mental health doesn't exist. Another myth that we deal with is that everyone has it all together. And I'm really glad that Pastor Patty included this one. Because you understand that church is like one hour of our lives. And we can all look pretty good for one hour of our life. We come to church and we see other people and we're like, man, they must have it together. You know, this has been exacerbated significantly through social media right? It used to be church was kind of the social media, right? It's where you showed up and you all look great, right? Forget about what you were doing in the car, screaming at each other to get it all working out, right? When you show up to church, by the time you walk in those doors, you're like, we got it together. We are the Gillespies. We sit on the front row. That's what we did at church, um, right? And so you have a tendency to think, man, that family has it all together. Those people have it all together. Uh, we can put up this good front. Social media does the same thing. You know what I have been incredibly annoyed by? And I apologize if you're one of these people. But I've been incredibly annoyed by the overuse of filters on social media, some of you do not look like you do. You show up, I'm like, wow, you're way different. <laughs> like you have a nose, a bridge of a nose. Like some of you are, not you, it's the other ones. <laughs> right? Let's not go crazy. And so I know that sometimes filters show up and you don't even mean to. Every once in a while I'll take a picture of myself and think like, I look really good. And then I look in the mirror, I'm like, who's that one? It's not me. Listen, um, the problem is we're putting up a front that then other people are going, making unreal assumptions about us. And sometimes we want that, I suppose. But that's not reality. It is a myth that everyone has it all together. I, I, I have this really beautiful picture of my family in Norway. And we're out in front of, I don't think it's a fjord, but it's this beautiful valley. There's this lake and this massive rock thing behind us. And we're standing there and we look so beautiful. It was such a mess that day. We had traveled the whole, like we traveled for like 36 hours to get there. I was waking my family up to take pictures because it was so beautiful. They were so angry at me. And like, you know, but the picture looks great. And all the comments are like, oh, what a wonderful family. You must be having a wonderful time. We were not having a wonderful time. No one was having a wonderful time. I was mad at my children. My children were definitely mad at me. My wife did not want to get back in the car. Like it was a hot, hot mess. But that picture, oh, it looks like we had a good time in Norway. We did eventually, just for the record. But we didn't win that picture. So the problem is, the problem is we have a tendency to base what we feel on the inside by what people look like on the outside. And that's really dangerous. Because A, we don't really know what they're going through. And B, to assume that everybody has it all together makes us feel worse about what we're dealing with. I think probably a much better assumption is that everybody's dealing with something and some are really good at covering it up. So make sure you are not making decisions about your insides based on someone else's outside. Another myth, you just need to pray more and let it go. And this is a refrain that we hear many times from Christians, let go and let God. Let Jesus take the wheel, right? These cliches can be incredibly damaging. 
Now, that's not to say God's not in the midst of this, and that's one of the things we're going to deal with today. Right? What God does in the, in the midst of how, how, we're, how we're dealing with our mental health issues. But, but to just fall on this myth does a couple things. Like to fall on those cliches does a couple things. Number one, it minimizes what people are going through. Because sometimes if you're dealing with a significant anxiety disorder, you can't let it go. That's kind of the whole point of your anxiety disorder, right? You can't let it go. You're dealing with things and you're dealing with them over and 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 over again to the point where it almost paralyzes you, right? But the problem is we've got scripture that actually sounds like that. So what do you do with like Philippians 4, 6 and 7? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Seems like a simple solution. Pray, tell him what you need, let it go, knowing God will handle it. It continues, right? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Listen, guaranteed peace. No fuss, no muss. But what happens when it doesn't work that way? Does it mean that you don't have enough faith? Does it mean that you don't trust enough? Listen, I understand when I say it, you're like, no, of course not. Except that we say this to people sometimes, not knowing that that's what we're saying, not knowing that that's what we're giving. And so it's not that scripture lies, of course not. And it's not that there's not a peace that surpasses understanding and there's not a peace that sometimes you have in the midst of a storm. But what happens when you don't have that peace and things don't seem to get better? Well, I mean, we still pray because that's a continued admonition for us. And of course we wanna leave it up to God, but sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we are so stuck in the midst of a mental health crisis that we're not sure what to do. Paul struggled with things like this, it seems like. And so this is why he says in Romans 8, 26, listen, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. We don't even know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, this is, this is nice to know that when we're in the midst of something that we're dealing with, when we're in the midst of something that we can't seem to find that peace. We can't, like we're frustrated. We're frustrated even with God. The Holy Spirit is willing to pray for us. He's willing to make our pain known to God in a way that is coherent, even beyond what we understand of what we're going through, right? And, and I, I, I sort of hate that this text says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because we have a tendency to look at neurodivergence or mental illness, if you will, or mental health and when we're struggling with it. We have a tendency to look at it like a weakness. But I know neurodivergent people who their neurodivergence has become an incredible strength in their life. It's given them incredible empathy. It's given them a way to look at the world that I don't see the world through. So I wish we didn't use this term weakness, but I think you understand. Paul was struggling too. And Paul got to the point where he didn't know what to pray. 
And Paul recognized, listen, maybe sometimes I just have to be present in front of God and let the Holy Spirit say the words that I don't even know. Because it sounds like Paul was struggling that hard. So like I said, I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm not here to give therapy and to help you understand how to get through it necessarily. My work is in the theology, right, is in who God is. So, so the question I have to ask, and I think I'm, I'm more prepared to answer, is where is God in our mental health? If God doesn't fix it, why not? And shouldn't he just be fixing everything? It's funny, you know, we, we, we say this sometimes, and particularly when it comes to like emotional issues or mental health issues, Christians have a tendency to say, well, God's just going to fix it. Well, there's some other things I'd like God to fix in my life. You know what I would like? I would like abs. I would. I would like abs. I would like, like beyond a six pack. Like I want, I want to be one of those people that has like a 10 pack where like they take off their shirt and you go, I didn't know. I didn't know there were muscles there. What, like what, how, how? How do you get those? How does that happen? You know, I, you laugh because nobody expects God's to, God to give me abs. I mean, did you? Right? I don't have them, just to be clear. But you're like, yeah. It's like, you didn't have to tell us that. We're, we're so clear on that with you. Um, but it's weird because we don't expect God to give us abs. Right? But then we wonder why God's not healing a mental health issue that we're having. Right? So does that mean God is absent? Does that mean God isn't engaged in your mental health or he isn't engaged in your health at all? What does God do? I mean, I believe there are times when God heals miraculously. By the way, I want to I leave room for that. I don't know how to control it. I don't know why God does it sometimes and doesn't. I also want to make sure that that we all understand that sometimes when people say God healed me, sometimes that's true. Maybe not all the time, right? We have to leave room for sometimes the body heals itself or the mind, you know? But, but I do want to leave room for God to, to heal like that. I mean, I don't know that every claim of God's healing is real, but I, I do want to leave room for that. But what does God do that we can really be clear on? So I think it's three things. And this is what I want you to take home today. I think God listens, God understands, and God stays. Right? I think this is what God does for us. Is this enough when it comes to our mental health and well-being? Maybe, but let's break it down a little bit. First, God listens. Um, have you ever had a good listener in your life? Somebody who's just really good at hearing you? Like one of those active listeners, right? Somebody who's like engaged as you speak, you know who's probably the best at that in my life, and this is probably what I'm going to miss the most, is Pastor Mike. Mike is a genius at listening and being engaged. I don't know if he's paying attention, but he seems like he is. <laughs> right? He's right there with me all the time. And in our staff meetings, it's so funny. Mike, Mike has such a great countenance, right? Mike is engaged with everybody. And if two people are really disagreeing, um, Mike is somehow agreeing with both of them. Brilliantly, I don't know how he does it. He's like, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. Yes, that makes sense too. And I'm like, these things are diametrically opposed, Mike. And Mike's like, <laughs> I don't know how he does it. It's a spiritual gift is what I'm saying. We will, we will be worse off for not having that in the room sometime. Um, but listen, we know, that God, we know that God listens because it says it in scripture a lot. For I cried out 
to him for help, says Psalm 66, 17. Praising him as I spoke. And I love this, right? I love the fact that the psalmist is saying, I cried out and I'm praying. I'm struggling and I'm praising him. Right at the same time, right? I'm in the, it's a mess of what's going on. I'm crying and I'm praising all at the same time. And then it says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now this one gets us a little bit, right? Because we go, oh, okay, um, this seems like a cause and effect. If I had not cr- confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I actually think we can interpret this a little bit differently. I think, I mean, I think we should confess our sins to God. But I think what he's saying here is I was honest and authentic, Right? I was not playing with God. I was telling him the truth about what I was feeling. Not just confessing sin. I was being honest about how I'm feeling. I'm actually laying all this out in front of God. Do you, we all know when we're being played, right? Have you ever had somebody talking to you and about halfway through the conversation, you're like, mm, I don't know if this is real, what you're saying here. Right? I think the psalmist is saying, I was honest with God about everything that's going on in my life. God wouldn't listen to me if I wasn't, paying, if I wasn't being authentic and honest. But God did listen, says verse 19. He paid attention to my prayer. Now, I've said it many times in this church. I believe love is paying attention. Right? We pay attention most to that which we love the most. And so God paid attention to his prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. He heard, he understood, and he stayed. Having someone around who won't leave is incredibly important. Man, I remind my wife all the time she's legally obligated to stay. Right? Here's the thing. When you know someone's not going to leave, the conversations change. You don't have to be careful in the same way. You have to be mindful. You have to be thoughtful. That's just being a good human being. But you can say hard things. You can say real things. This is why the author of that psalm says, I confess my sin. I told God everything that's going on in my head. And he didn't leave. Do you remember the first time with that person you're dating or that person that you're married to, the first time you laid it all out? The first time, like, all the stuff you hadn't said on that first date, right? We're now at the sixth date, and it's like, okay, are we dating or not? Let me be real. And you tell the person the whole truth, and you just kind of wait for them to leave. And when they go, huh, I got some stuff too. And then they lay it out, and then you're looking at each other like, wow, we were just really honest. No one's leaving? Okay, I guess we're in a relationship now. Just for the record, my wife and I did that on the first date. (laughs) No, we totally did. I was like, well... I'm just going to tell you the truth about everything. And she's like, okay. Uh, And I just, (laughs) sounded better than that. Um, And she was like, her eyes were big as saucers. And she's like, okay. And then she did it. And at the end of that first date, we're like, "Mm." I mean, in my heart, I was like, okay, let's just get married now. (laughs) So it's super easy. I don't know. That took her a little bit longer, Um, probably. But so what we hear is that God understands right? We hear that God listens and we hear that God understands. There's so many texts about God knowing us and understanding us. I love the Hebrew text that talks about Christ as our high priest. So this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. Now, the, the way this is written bothers me a little bit, right? Because it's like he did it and he didn't sin. And it kind of feels when you read it like, what's your problem? 
right? If he did it, why, do you, what, why can't you do it? I don't think that's the tone here. Instead, the tone is conciliatory. Our high priest is advocating for us because he knows how hard it is. Because there's two things you can, when you go through something, there's two ways you can respond to somebody who's going through it. One is, I went through it, deal with it. Or the other way is, I went through it, I know how hard it is, let me help. Right? You can do one of those two things. And I think in this tone that we see in Hebrews, it's the author saying, hey, he went through it so he understands he was able to make it through. We might not in the same way. And then he says, because he did that, because he was able to get through it, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find his grace to help us when we need it the most. It continues on, right? You can come to God because he's been through it and he understands it. So when you walk boldly in front of God, he goes, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. The tone remains because Jesus is our high priest. He understands how hard this all is. He gets being depressed, needing time away, being disappointed to the point of exhaustion and distraction, Garden of Gethsemane, which we talk about later on in the series. Right? So why can we boldly go before the throne of grace? Because that's what grace is. Giving us something that we didn't necessarily deserve, but yet still giving us hope, understanding, and still staying. You know, the story of Esther, Esther, when she walked in front of her husband, was not sure. She was not sure he would extend that scepter so that she would live, so that she could advocate for the Hebrews, right? But we get to walk boldly in front of the throne of grace, knowing who God is, right? And he doesn't leave. He just stays with us. Listen, if God listens, understands, and stays, what does that mean for us? Does it make a difference at all? I would say yes. It means that we have a baseline of love in our lives. It means that we have a love that doesn't leave that is ever-present within our life. Now, we may not always feel it, but it also means that this love, this baseline is a fact, not a feeling. Sometimes we don't feel loved. Sometimes we don't feel loved by our partners. Sometimes we don't feel loved by our kids. Sometimes we don't feel loved by our parents. Sometimes we don't feel loved by God. But while we will struggle with feeling that love and steadfastness is not always there at times, it doesn't change the fact of his love. Right? We can know that the baseline of our lives is that we are loved by a God, we are listened to by a God, and we are understood by a God, and He is not going anywhere. It means that while we struggle, our God is still with us. It means that God is there, that God is not disassociating Himself from us, no matter what we do, no matter what we feel, no matter what we say in those times of struggle and weakness. It means that his love is not contingent. It means his love for us is not contingent on our love for him. Our love is always contingent, but God's love is not. Therefore, we will abuse it. Therefore, we will deny it. Therefore, we will ignore it. And we will take it for granted. 
But his love does not leave us. We know we're going to make these mistakes. And you know what? God knows it too. But he's still not going anywhere. So, I mean, what is it like to live with a non-contingent love? It doesn't just fix the problems, but it means that love is there in the midst of the problems. It is the hope that we need when we can't find hope. It is the air that we breathe when we feel like we're drowning. It is the reality that we will distort and the view that we can't always see, but it will be the constant in our lives. But, but what happens when we can't see that love, when we can't feel that love, when we can't touch that love, what happens? You know what happens? Nothing. Our interactions don't change it. The way we see it or feel it or experience doesn't change the fact of God's love. So in the end, this is what we understand. That you are heard, that you are understood, and that God is with you. Throughout this series, we're going to deal with a lot of stuff. We're going to deal with things like demon possession. We're going to deal with suicidal ideation. We're going to deal with some really tough stuff. But I want you to understand this. The baseline of it all is that God hears you. He understands you. And God is not going anywhere. When you're in the depths of that depression, when you are wrestling with the horns of that anxiety, when you are struggling to keep your head above water, this is the baseline you can believe in. Even if you don't feel it and you can't touch it and you can't see it, just hold on and believe that these things about God are true. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we sang a song earlier that says, um, I didn't know where I had left myself, but you know where to find me. This is because you've been the constant in our lives. And so, Lord, not just as we talk about mental health and faith, but as we experience what it means to be struggling and still be faithful. I want to thank you first and foremost for being a God that listens, a God that understands, and a God that stays. Lord, sometimes that is the only thing we have to hold on to because we don't feel it, we struggle with believing it, we can't see it. But Lord, may you somehow make that presence and understanding and hearing known in our lives so that we know we don't struggle with this alone. And then Lord, may you motivate us as a community to wrap our arms around those who are struggling, knowing that there'll be a time when we struggle probably, and we need the community to wrap their arms around us as well. Lord, we pray this in your name, the name of Jesus, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.